and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the PigX Podcast. I'm your host, Delaney Howell, joined today by Dr. Chris Rodemaker from Iowa State University, Dr. Justin Brown, also from Iowa State University, and Dr. Pete Thomas from Iowa Select Farms. Today, we're tackling the discussion of individual sow care, and we're going to leave you with some take-home tips on improving this area in your swine system. So without further ado, let's kick it over to that conversation with Chris, Justin, and Pete. Chris, I know you're an old veteran, so at this point, I don't think there's much introduction needed, but for Dr. Brown and Dr. Thomas, Justin, maybe we could just start with you if you wouldn't mind sharing a quick background overview with our listeners. Sure, yeah. Thanks for having me today. Like I said, Dr. Justin Brown, veterinarian and assistant teaching professor here at Iowa State University, veterinary diagnostic and production animal medicine department at the College of Veterinary Medicine. Moved to Iowa in 2016 after I got my vet degree from the University of Georgia because I wanted to work with pigs. No better place to do that than in Iowa. In 2019, I joined the faculty here and took on some more teaching responsibilities. And in addition to my teaching, I'm also the lead vet for the Iowa State University Swine Farms. And Pete, what about your background with Iowa Select Farms? How did you wind up in the swine industry? Yeah, so I was kind of born into the swine industry. I grew up on a small farrow to finish farm in eastern Iowa, 150 to 200 sow farm farrow to finish. After I graduated from high school, I had seven little brothers at home, so I didn't figure there's probably going to be a place for me around the farm. So I went to Iowa State, did an animal science degree and vet school there at Iowa State. And then spent about 10 years in mixed animal practice with Smithfield Foods before coming over to Iowa Select. So I've been with Iowa Select. This will be my seventh year here as the director of health services. So work with the vet team overseeing health services side and trying to keep our pigs healthy and productive. Now, obviously, all of you guys have a longstanding history in the swine industry. But today's discussion in particular, we want to focus on individual sow care. And I know you all have some great discussion points to share with us today. But I think a good place to start would be to just discuss sow mortality and the increase that we've seen in that since really 2014. Maybe, Chris, if you want to kick things off. Yeah, you bet. I think we've seen certainly as as we bred sows for, to become more reproductive, you know, it's kind of the first rule of genetics. Whenever you start selecting for some things, you select away from some things else. We've we've seen kind of a slow increase in sow mortality, but it really seemed to hit an inflection point in 2014. And looking at various databases, really, we've we've seen since that time period here in the U.S. for sure. And, you know, starting to hear some reports in other countries now for sure, but almost three quarters of a percent to a percent rise in annualized mortality year over year since 2014. So uh, it's really gotten to be a major issue, certainly from a production standpoint, but even certainly from also from a uh, production and animal well-being standpoint as well. So that it was certainly part of one of the factors in the survivability grant, looking at what are some ways that potentially that we could uh, investigate and uh, look at some on-farm methodologies to maybe help uh, reduce that uh, on-farm cell mortality. And as you look at cell mortality in the areas that we've worked on to improve that and prevent that, I think maybe we should start and back up a little bit with what causes cell mortality, Pete? 
Yeah, so I mean, you can look at a lot of different analyses of town mortality and try to put it in different buckets or causes, but uh, really what you see is there's a lot of different reasons why sows can die or, or why they do die. In our system, you know, as we've seen the same pattern that Chris talked about, we started seeing our sow mortality increase kind of during the same time frame. And some of the things looked at since about 2016, we started remodeling farms and uh, going to more to pen gestation. So we expanded at it about 80,000 sows in that time. And so we've got a lot of changes going on, both with sow housing, our labor, a lot of new employees, a lot of new managers. You go, I don't know, you know, what is kind of some of the some of the reasons. But when you look at it, it's kind of across the board. And when we've looked at our sound mortality, just to make it simple, it really kind of falls into like three main buckets. A third are what we would say are lame or downers. A third are from prolapses. And then a third would be recorded as a sudden dead. But pretty much that's a sound that it doesn't end up being euthanized. And so when you think about those three buckets, there's a lot of different things that can play into those. And all of those have, have increased over that same time period. It's not like it's just one or another, um, but we've seen that continue to increase over this period of time. Yeah, it seemed like, Pete, you know, the industry really got interested in prolapses. You know, that was always kind of one of certain one of the causes and one that probably is one of the more accurate reasons that get listed on uh, sow mortality, because that's one that's pretty easy to recognize for the farm personnel and accurately record. But it seemed like a part of that really inflection point in 2014 was we really saw a rapid acceleration in in prolapses. But I agree with with you. I think we've seen the increase in all of them. But did you guys see that, uh, you know, in and around the same time? And and what are some things that you guys have have looked at or investigated in in looking at maybe that cause in particular? Yeah, so, yeah, that's good. Good question. And uh, we actually did, we took two farms where we'd seen uh, higher levels of prolapses. Um, we necropsied every sow on those two farms for two weeks. So we ended up necropsying a total of 56 sows that needed either, you know, they died on their own, needed to be euthanized by prolapses. And what we found interestingly is 82% of those sows died from non-infectious causes. So they didn't have signs of pneumonia or an intestinal uh, disease. Obviously, you know, health issues, but not not infectious disease issues. So um, really what we saw a lot of was uterine prolapses, sows euthanized for lameness, and then torsion. And then on those on the lames, interestingly, it was mostly feet issues. So not a lot of arthritis, not a lot of joint infection. Prolapses is the biggest cause on those on those two farms. And we see variation in our system. You mentioned the three buckets, which I found interesting, but was there anything significant about 2014 that made those three buckets become more well-known or was it just better tracking or better healthcare in the swine industry? Was there any significance, I guess, to that year? Yeah, Delaney, you know, I think it probably varies a little bit. I used the 2014 number that was a PigCham database that I saw referenced. I think Pete mentioned, you know, 2016, but I would say somewhere within that time frame was really where we we saw this gradual rise move to almost more of an exponential or a linear rise you know where we saw that that one percent increase in a in a year over year uh, basis, and you know it seemed like we started to hear a lot of discussion at that point about prolapses. I mean, I think Pete's on farm study. I think it's right on the money. Certainly, that's a big one that gets a lot of attention because I, a lot of people started talking about it at that time. But it's certainly not the only reason. When you look at a lot of these record keeping systems, you know, unknown still tends to be the biggest reason because. It was a nice sow, nothing wrong with it today. And 
and and the next day lay in their dead. So, you know, I would say unknown, lame, you know, lameness and prolapses. I think Pete and his team, they've kind of lumped those in those unknowns into that sudden death category. And that was really interesting, Pete, to say that a lot of those were torsions. What percentage of those would you say were were torsions uh, out of that uh, 82% when you looked at that? Yeah, so in the necropsy project we did, we actually saw just a, about 10% of the sows that were necropsied were torsions. And so a lot of times that's like splenic or gastric torsion, post-ferro is when we were seeing that. And that sudden dead or, you know, or unknown bucket, as Chris called, it's kind of the same thing, that sudden dead category kind of becomes a catch-all for the farm staff. So you might have different things like what we would find during that necropsy project in that category would be things like retained pigs, torsions, might be pneumonia. It might be some other sort of infection, but the farm staff doesn't necessarily know why the sow died. They just know it wasn't a lame sow or a downer sow or a prolapse. But torsion was the number one uh, bucket we saw, or the number one cause in that in that category during the project with uh, retained pigs being number two. So Chris, you mentioned some different studies and that this really tied into the survivability grant as a whole. And I know that Pete has also, sounds like, done some research or trials at Iowa Select Farms. But tell us how the trial came to be in the first place, Chris. Yeah, you bet. When we were looking at projects to investigate, you know, we've got a series of ones, you know, in looking at sow mortality, pre-wean mortality, nursery mortality, finishing mortality. And within the sow mortality bucket, we've got some, Dr. Ross has led a lot of stuff looking, investigating different reasons uh, for prolapses. But we also want to do some field demonstration type studies. And, and one that we had pegged was one looking at a better and quicker identification of what we would maybe call at-risk sows. So in the thought process with that was actually an experience I had had with a summer intern during my previous employment where we had a summer intern go into farm Monday through Friday. And when they would get the sows up in the morning, they would go ahead and her job was just to kind of identify those that weren't getting up with everybody else since they only got fed once a day, do a good evaluation, record some data, and then make sure that that sow got treated. And that summer intern did that for about a six-week period. And lo and behold, we saw mortality on that overall sow mortality on that farm, even though she only did it in the breeding and gestation barns. We saw it go down for the six weeks that she was there. And when she left and went back to school, sow mortality went right back up to, to the levels previous to that. So one of the the areas that we wanted to investigate was further flesh that out and say, is there an opportunity where we worked with a farm that was having a little bit higher mortality and really spend some time with the breeding and gestation managers, you know, teaching and training them? Could we do that for a two-week period really intensively? And, you know, teach them for what to look for, make sure those sows were getting identified and treating them early. Could we impact the overall herd sow mortality by doing that? So that was a little bit of one of the questions that we'd put in in the grant. And Pete and his team were actually uh, kind enough to to volunteer one of their farms for that project. So, and uh, Justin was was really uh, instrumental in, in helping us get that design. So I'm going to turn that over to him to, and he can kind of tell it tell the audience kind of how we set that up and how we executed it and what we think we learned. And I'd be remiss too, if I didn't mention Dr. Carricker and the Swine Medicine Education Center crew here, their support and our other veterinarians 
through the Swine Medicine Education Center that were a part of this project as well to execute it. So like Chris said, Dr. Thomas and I was select uh, helped us identify a site. And then we went out during uh, weeks 24 and 25 of 2021. Um, so right in the middle of summer, tried to implement this training that Chris was just mentioning. So could we train the production personnel on site to properly identify these sows and then could we maintain that over time by looking at records pre and post training so what we decided to do uh, was Chris and I at least one of us would go or both of us would go out and there would always be at least two vets on site for the two weeks of training so first thing in the morning, meet up with the breeding and gestation barn leads, those managers that worked in those barns. And when they drop feed, we would walk the rows of sows. So all of these sows in this farm were um, housed in gestation stalls and they were fed once a day in the morning. So we would go up, walk out there. Um, the farm staff would drop feed. And then we would just walk the rows, walk the alleys, right? Typically with one of us in front and one of the other individual behind the sows walking the alley. And then if any sow was not up and eating, she would be flagged for further evaluation. And so the main goal is to get through the whole barn of sows before they get done eating and start laying back down, right? And so that we don't have to get them up again. So we would walk, uh, we would flag sows that weren't up and eating. And then we would come back and do a more thorough evaluation of her and see really if she had any other clinical signs that were present or underlying causes that might tell us why she isn't getting up and eating and might lead us to some sort of treatment protocol. For this project, we utilized the treatment protocols that uh, Iowa Select had in place. Uh, we didn't adjust any of those. It was just mainly focused on early identification of gilts or sows. Uh, and trying to get an earlier intervention to try to prevent mortality and reduce that for the farm. Typically, it'd take us a couple hours to get through the farm, uh, right? We would split the farm by barn. So I would take a barn and Chris would take another with a manager and we'd walk through, identify all these sows. And then the farm staff could come back a couple hours later and treat or treat whenever it was convenient for them, right? Once we identified what was wrong with her. Kind of just goes back to maybe some of the fundamentals of, um, you know, individual pig care, right? You know, yep. too often, I, we all know, particularly in this time period where we're really struggling to find labor, you know, cell treatments, you know, that's probably one of those duties that, well, you know, hey, we got to make sure that the sows get heat checked and bred and moving them into farrowing. If we don't get to looking at evaluating and treating sows today, well, we'll get to that tomorrow. And then tomorrow becomes the next day and so on. And, you know, you get some of these sows that maybe just started off with a little cut in their foot and doesn't get, you know, recognized. Maybe she doesn't get up right away to eat all the time. Eventually that sow gets, you know, super lame. And by the time we notice it, she can't get up anymore. And we try treating her, but the damage has already been done. The bacteria is actually gone, you know, and then we wind up having to euthanize them. So that was really kind of the thought process to say is if we put some attention and focus in this area, just basic animal husbandry and make that a priority, it really with using the fact that these sows and these farms, you know, they get fed once a day. So we have this really unique opportunity. You and I, when, when we get sick, first thing we do is kind of go off feed too, right? We don't want to eat. 
So we really just use that kind of as a proxy to say, hey, there's something wrong with this girl. We better take a closer look. And as Justin said, you know, these are these were big gestation buildings. So, you know, we had to hustle through there in 30 minutes. So really the goal was just to try to quickly identify those girls and then come back later, time period after the barn staff had done the heat checking and breeding and all those sorts of things to come back and do a more detailed evaluation. And then those that deemed needed to be treated, they could treat them according to the treatment protocol that Pete and and their team had put together. So, you know, we'd done that, like I say, for about two week time period and started to see some reduction in mortality. And the thing that always impressed me was that the gestation guys, they caught on real quick because the layout of the farm was they only had one place that they could take the dead sows out. And it was kind of one of those farms that had been remodeled several times. So there are lots of buildings. So to pull dead sows out, even with, with the Hercules, was really a, a t- very time-tasking uh, issue, right? It just took a lot of time to do that. So it, they started to see pretty quickly, it is like, hey, if we spend a little bit of time up front identifying getting these sows treated, that's a whole lot fewer of them that we got to drag out as dead. So kind of like they they hooked onto that really pretty quickly. And and so compliance was really excellent right from the beginning of that standpoint, you know, because they could really see what the win was for them, you know, just on a personal on a personal level. Protocol really kind of took off for took off and and really started running. So then we just kind of sat back and uh, just monitored the weekly death. So the interesting thing about this was the metric that we use to determine success or failure was just weekly sow deaths. Now that included sows that were you know that would have died in farrowing too. Uh, you know, and we weren't doing anything in farrowing. This was strictly looking at sows and breeding and gestation, which, you know, you got 80 to 85% of your animals in that area, uh, admittedly, but that that's, that's where we were looking at. So, uh, so yeah, we just kind of looked at eventually, you know, we were following it on a weekly basis and compared the 24 weeks before uh, we did the intervention. And, and once we accumulated 24 weeks of data uh, afterwards, we went ahead and just plotted that into an SPC charting and then did some statistics on it. And that farm had really saw a nice mortality reduction. I saw about a 4.25% reduction in annualized uh, sow mortality. So that was really pretty interesting. And and with that, you know, Pete, that, for you as a veterinarian and your team, kind of how you guys were monitoring that and what you guys kind of did with some of that information. They did see a nice reduction in mortality and and they've maintained that reduction as well. And I think uh, you know, a big thing you said when you guys were out there, you guys worked in teams, but, you know, two of the vets from Iowa State would be out there every day working with the farm staff. And so help the farm staff learn and understand and, and train them. And, you know, it, like I said, it's not it's pretty basic, you know, individual animal husbandry thought process. But in the daily tasks, there's a lot of work to be done. And, you know, you think, you know, those guys are walking to the barn. They might be doing their daily scrape of the back alleyway at the same time or looking for feed hangups or, or you know, other maintenance issues that come up. And so how much are they really focused on really looking over every sow when they do that walk? And so making that a focused task, I think it does take a little more time, but certainly pays off. You know, as we got got that study completed and started seeing that progress and seeing it maintained, I think one of the one of the cool things about it is we rolled that out to the rest of the farm staff uh, managers in a big annual management meeting we have. And, you know, that farm that you did it in, like you said, it was an older remodeled, old thorough to finish farm that remodeled into a bigger sow farm not the best facilities in our company, farms health, and they'd be PERS positive, mycoplasma positive. Take a farm that's got a lot of maybe disadvantages compared to some of the other ones in our system. And then you, and then you take it and and show that those, that farm can go from being, you know, kind of in the 
uh, average to a poorer than average mortality to the number two farm in our system. And all of a sudden, you know, I could see attention of the other guys, you know, what are they doing? How are they doing it right? And then you piggyback that with, you know, making uh, uh, sound mortality improvements, a big part of their incentive program for the next year and pretty interesting. What are they doing out there and how can we, how can we replicate that? And so uh, we went out and did uh, training with all the farms when it comes to our sow supervisor, our veterinary team, our production um, animal well-being team. You know, we all made sure we were on the same page. And so when we go out to that farm, we're all giving a consistent message to those managers, to those employees. And I think that's one thing that's really helped is everybody's telling them the exact same thing and on what the expectations are and how they can be successful and trying to give them all the same tools. And so I think that's been a big part of what's helped us um, as a system. And we've actually been able to uh, take that and, and, and replicate it now since January, we've we've reduced our annualized sound mortality by 4% as a system. It's been fun to see. I think it's given a lot of people a lot of encouragement as well. So as the research obviously was done last year, we're through it. You've had time to dissect it. It sounds like you gentlemen have shared a lot on individual cell care at conferences and events. And now you're sharing it here with the PigX podcast listeners. But what happened as a result of this trial or what things have you seen change in the industry since this has been finished? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Like you say, we're trying to get the word out, trying to work, you know, now we're trying to find some additional collaborators. So, you know, we're looking, uh, you know, if, if, you know, we've got listeners that have farms that might be interested, we're in the process of putting some learning materials and protocols together, you know, how to do this sort of evaluation, you know, working with your veterinarian, to do, to do that, what what we'd like to do or hope to do is try to you know, repeat what we've seen in Pete's system and several other systems, uh, too. So we've heard from some people that have had some some early attempts at it. We actually did replicate this in a, a group sow housed farm, so that was a little bit different, uh, wasn't that, Justin? As we went into that one, yeah, absolutely. I mean, a little bit different tactic to tackle those pen gestations, a walk through and look at every sow every day. Yeah, looking forward to what that data shows us and think it's going to be pretty impactful there too as well. So as you look at an implementation of this across the entire system, Pete, what else has been done as a result of this? Yeah, I mean, this was definitely a big piece of the puzzle that we were looking at is individual style identification. We had to kind of take a, you know, a full system approach looking at a lot of other things. And so a couple of the other big focuses we had were um, body condition scores and body condition consistency. And so we implemented caliper body condition scoring method rather than the eyeball or hand feel to try to add more objectiveness to it. And so we have two uh, sow retention specialists that do a lot of training on a lot of different different aspects, but they go out and they do some measurements and we've gotten really good accuracy and really good consistency on when it comes to body condition score, which has helped a lot. Uh, we've looked at a few different things on how we feed our sows and, and it's always hard to say what what has made a big difference. But one thing you know, we think that has helped is we we just kind of we went back to stair stepping our sows up after farrowing for the first few days before we put them on full feed, and so we saw a lot of times on those sows that prolapsed after farrowing or sows that had torsions when you when you knee crops them you'd find 15, 20 pounds of feed in their stomach. It was almost surprising. They obviously felt very good at the time they died. They were they were tanked up, and, and that has helped. And so that that was another big a big thing we did. And then probably the other thing is uh, focusing on guilt development. Uh, Gilding that gilt bread at the right weight, the right age, managing those gilts properly in the GDUs and and how we manage them when we bring them into our sow farms in terms of getting them sorted and penning and reevaluated 
after they get mixed in their groups. You know, between those and, and a lot of the individual animal care things we've been talking about, we've been seeing some progress in our system. So it's been fun to see. Gentlemen, we're getting close to the end of today's discussion, and we like to send our listeners home with a bit of a take-home message. So if you think about individual cell care and things you've learned through your time in the industry and also this trial, what's a good message or a good thing that our listeners can take back, execute, and implement in their own operations? And maybe, Chris, I'll kick it over to you first to give the other two a little time to think. Yeah, I think this one for me, like you say, I was fortunate enough to have a, a little bit of a preview with the, the summer student a few years ago, you know, seeing that the sort of results. I, I think for me, it just really tells us that there's, when we're trying to tackle cell mortality, there's still a husbandry piece to it. And it gets to be a balance with the labor, I understand. But particularly in farms that feed once a day, take an opportunity at that time. If all that, you know, you can work with your veterinarian and just train the staff at least to identify those animals that aren't getting up right away. So that later in the day, when we've got a couple of people and you can do a more thorough evaluation, maybe grab the manager and say, let's go around and look at these sows that didn't get up that day. And and those ones that you're like, she didn't eat, if she didn't eat, there's a reason why she didn't eat. And, and in many cases, those seem to respond really well to treatment in this evaluation that we did. So real simple, practical things you can take home and do and talk about about the individual pig care. This is, you know, really the extension of that with individual sow care. You know, the earlier we find find them and treat them, the better, the better our interventions are going to work. So uh, I would probably just to our listeners, that's probably the greatest thing you can do. And if, if you got any questions or if you want to talk through it or I'd be more than happy to do that, you can reach me via email is probably the best way, cjrdvm at iastate.edu, and we'd be happy to talk to you about it. Fantastic. Justin, any take-home messages for our listeners on your perspective? Yeah, I think Chris hit the nail on the head there, right? It just it really comes down to husbandry, check on every sow every single day as you go through the barn. And like Chris said, there is a labor component with that. But if we can focus on that and repeat these findings that we saw in this study, I think it kind of pays for itself over time, right? If we can keep sows in the herd longer, reduce our overall sow mortality is really, really beneficial. And I think there too, there's an opportunity and I've heard a lot of buzz around this talking with different uh, individuals and companies that there's an opportunity for potential technology developments on ways to identify sows earlier that might be at risk, right? Through different technologies that are coming down the pipeline. So that'll be something to watch in the future too, if through technological developments, if we can help with this identification, and then maybe that helps on the labor side of implementing some of this. And last but not least, Pete, uh, any messages to share with our listeners? Yeah, I think it just, you know, like like a lot of things, it comes down to, you know, the people in the farms and what they're doing. And, you know, we got a lot of good people working for us, a lot of people who want to do a good job, you know, as veterinarians or management, production management personnel. I mean, we really just need to go give them the tools to be successful, explain to them the why of how, why we do things, uh, why, what's, what's a priority or what's important. And most people respond to that if they can understand it. They can understand what you want them to do, understand how to do it and understand the tools to be successful there. They want to do it. And so a lot of it just comes down to just working with all the people and farms and helping them set up to be successful. Well, gentlemen, we certainly appreciate your time today. It's been really insightful to hear about what you guys have been doing to help with individual sow care. 
Well, listeners, I don't know about you, but I certainly learned a lot during today's conversation, and I hope it left you with a better understanding of individual sow care in your operation and ways to improve it. Tune in to the PigX podcast every month for more educational conversations around swine survivability. Until next time, I'm Delaney Howell, and this has been the PigX podcast. PigX is a national podcast hosted by the Pig Livability Project partners at Iowa State University, Kansas State University, and Purdue, and supported by the Iowa Pork Industry Center. For more information on the project, head to www.piglivability.org or to inquire directly with questions regarding the project, email ipic at iastate.edu. Big X. Ideas in the swine industry worth sharing.